0: Welcome back to uh, the next installment of Limited Upside. Summer editions we're doing. Uh, we're go- going through all the teams, and we've moved on to the Nets now. We just finished with the Lakers and the Sixers, and after this we probably have Phoenix and, and Minnesota to get to. But today we have a couple guys from Nets Daily. Mike, again, I'll let you give him the-, the proper introduction. You know these guys well. You bump into them at the Barclays Center from time to time, as you mentioned. But before we do all that, I have t- I'd be remiss if I didn't mention – that you should review and rate and all and subscribe and all that stuff to the Limited Upside Podcast. We always say it at the end, and and this time I have to, I have to get it going here in the, in the beginning of the podcast. Or Michael reprimand, reprimand me. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, as, uh, you've been as
1: reprimanded
0: as he has been done uh, known to do from time to time. So yeah, rate, review, subscribe, please. Limited Upside podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud, Stitcher, as well as just uh, on Twitter. That's Limited underscore Upside. Hit up Mike and I on, uh, on Twitter as well. We're always looking for the, uh, for the questions for the podcast. But again, we just went long on the intro. That's why we do it at the end usually, but I'm going to continue in the beginning. And, but now, Mike, can you please give us the proper introduction of our guest today from the Nets Daily to help us give a, a full uh, recap of the summer of amazing moves the Nets have made to reshape the team? Uh, Mike, go ahead. I see you call them amazing already. I
1: see your bias has shown. Yes, this is sort of my new hometown team, as but for both of us. But we still wanted to call in two of my favorite uh, bloggers, writers uh, for one of my favorite sites, Nets Daily. We've got Tom Lorenzo, the managing editor. We've got Anthony Puccio, uh, the reporter. Both of them at Net at Barclays Center, daily. You know, regularly. I guess daily, not daily, regularly. So we're really thrilled to have them here. Welcome aboard, and let's talk about this uh, summer
0: of rebuilding for the Nets. Yeah, thanks, guess, Mike. Yeah, let's start. Let's start with you, Anthony. Actually, uh, we're going to run through the summer moves. Can you just give us a little, I don't know, a brief recap of, of how uh, how those moves have helped to shape the kind of the new look at Nets, if you will? Because there's a lot of things that have gone down. And why don't you start with the new coach there, uh, in Atkinson?
2: Kenny Atkinson seems to be pretty much what the Nets are looking forward to in the future, what they're trying to do. He's very well-respected around the league and mostly for his ability to develop. You know, one of his guys, Jeremy Lin, who just signed with the team, speaks very highly of him. Uh, But even after talking with Kenny in person last week at the press conference, you get a sense that the hiring, it goes past just development. He's very humble, and his humble character is very infectious, which should be infectious on a young group like the Nets. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, they had a season ticket holder event last Wednesday, and Kenny actually had a conversation with almost every fan that approached him. I think that kind of goes to show the character that himself and Sean Marks they're trying to instill for this team.
3: And I have to say, like to, to, to Anthony's point there, to... Uh you know, it's, it's really funny that we're sitting here talking about a coach who's humble and a GM with character, um, especially when you think of this team and where they've come from, especially since they've moved to Brooklyn. You know, Mikhail Prokhorov, larger than life. Uh, Billy King, kind of really into this, like, flashy, uh, really heady moves. You've got the Celtics trade where they bring in Garnett and Pierce. And you know, they, they, they've kind of really been into this idea of winning uh, you know, as we say, the back pages here in New York and in, in the New York Post and in the Daily News. Uh, and here you have an offseason where they bring in a coach like Kenny Atkinson, who, you know, among NBA folks and, you know, among people in the league is, is considered a rising star and one of the brightest minds, but is super humble, super quiet. Uh, Sean Marks, same thing, comes in, uh, you know, kind of uh, under that school and tutelage of, of uh, the San Antonio Spurs, of Greg Popovich. He's, he's kind of very business, businessman-like. Um, so so definitely a change of pace here for the Nets where, you know, you've got two guys who who aren't necessarily the flashiest signings um, and, and aren't necessarily even household names. Um, so it, it was one of kind of those summers where the Nets decided to kind of let the basketball minds do the talking, and I think that's what Kenny Atkinson really does represent for this team
1: yeah it, it's funny i don't recognize this team and what they do they they're quiet and it's such a good thing just for fan for the fan base because i don't think I think it's fairly clear that the last strategy sort of destroyed any sort of future near term future they had. But I, I miss I miss them kind of being fun and dramatic, you know. I miss them sort of jumping out there and making the big moves. And now it's sort of like there's this. It's almost you guys had a great headline on this. It's all in with patience. They're sort of telling everybody how patient they are. Now that said, they did make a couple big tries at interesting players i know they had a lot of money they sort of had to spend it they go for alan crab for a restricted free agent offer that kind of would have gone up to like 83 million over four years with the poison pill stuff that fails portland brings it back i'm a little surprised i thought portland wouldn't they try the same thing with tyler johnson for four years and 50 million my and miami matches so it's not like they just sort of sat out free agency it's just they targeted different types of players uh i was a little surprised that they decided that they really wanted to go into the restricted market i mean tom why why was that the strategy
3: well i think you look at where this team was last year a 21 win team that really even when you enter the summer and you look at them on paper uh don't have necessarily the personnel or didn't have necessarily the personnel to be much better than a you know a 20 to 25 win team so i think when you look at what they were trying to do even with Kenny Atkinson on board, you know everyone talked about his relationship with Al Horford. Uh, but you know, if you're Al Horford, you got to look at, at at the future, but you got to look at the now, right? The Nets are a long term blueprint. They're not a team that's going to turn over overnight. So I think they had to look at ways to get creative and find ways to bring in players like Tyler Johnson, like Alan Crabb, who they hope could turn into uh, true value players. Um, but you know i don't think they were ready to make that big move because you know m- my guess is even when you look at a kevin durant you know look at all the teams that were vying for someone like kevin durant and obviously he ends up being in golden state with a chance to win a championship and still making a ton of money uh, the nets can't offer anything but money to these te- to these players uh, and, the- and and they couldn't even offer that You know this team could win this year or even next year. So I think a lot of the free agents were looking at that and it was probably harder for them to really kind of strike gold with the big free agents. So they had to get a little creative and hope that they caught lightning in a bottle with some of these restricted free agents.
0: Hey, Jeremy Lin's a top-notch free agent, guys. I actually think he was going to be a nice piece to a team who could have probably been a a solid playoff contender and and instead he's going to come reunite with, uh, with Atkinson, which is an interesting move. I think that Lopez and Lin together could be... Enough to keep them out of that number one pick, which they're going to give away anyhow, which is probably a nice thing when you got to have little bittersweet pills to swallow. As a Sixers fan, these are little things you have to get into, right, guys? The, the draft pick maneuvering that you're not giving away, little things like that. Because the, 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 end of the, the end of the season, as you said, in the teens and 20s, and I fully expect to see the Sixers in the teens and 20s and wins this year as well. Uh, again, it's just, it's hard when you watch your team lose 60 times to watch you guys who you guys follow so much more closely than even I follow the Sixers. You're in the locker room, you see the body language and the way it wears on them. Professional athletes hate losing. Everybody hates losing, but these are the, the most competitive people. And so I, uh, I wonder, you know, uh, they, they, tried, they traded Thad Young. That's one of their veterans, et cetera. Um, they, they, they kind of moved around some pieces, but really they have a couple interesting defensive players. I think Ronda Hollis Jefferson could end up being the type of guy who fills in for that Thad role almost immediately. I you can see the left-handedness without quite as much offensive polish, polish I should say. To but, say the least. Yeah, to say, to say the <laughs> least, he's got a little further to go. He's a Chester PA guy, so obviously uh, I root for him. But t- tell me what, what you think Lynn means to the team. Um, Anthony, yeah, I think you can take this if you'd like, man, uh, to, to rebuttal my, my Lynn comment and the Sixers being right there with the Nets comments. But uh, what do you think those little wins are as a franchise? What you're rooting for, the kind of when you know you're going to be in the teens and 20s for wins, what are you rooting for as successes? And then tell me, again, what you think about uh, what Jeremy Lynn means to the franchise.
2: I think, I think Lin is kind of the perfect fit with Kenny. I think, you know, Kenny being a new coach, they kind of need each other. You know, Lin is he's, he's going to have the ball pretty much the whole game. It's mm-hmm. either him or Lopez that are, are going to have the ball. So I think he really is in a situation where he, he can thrive. You know, he's, he's on a three-year contract. You know, we don't know how long this rebuild is going to take. But, you know, he's, he's the type of guy that you want. Leading your team, he can help the young guys develop. He's not going to stunt anyone. He's going to, you know, he's going to do his job and really step up. I think he, I think he's a good leader for this. He's played in New York before. He's thrived in New York, and, and that 's need that.
1: Well, so great value. I thought. I thought it was a little surprising to get more money. It seems pretty clear that he took a little less to play with Kenny Atkinson, who, by the way, we've alluded to this, but he was Atkinson was Lynn's assistant coach during Lynn's sanity. And sort of the guy he worked with most. So that's sort of the nature of their relationship. I'm a little worried just because I think last year the Lynn we saw was sort of a very different player than the Lynn we saw in previous years. He was sort of – he played a lot with Kemba Walker. They played a lot of two-point guard lines. He played a lot more off the ball. And, you know, he had his chances to run the show when Kemba wasn't playing. But – the Hornets had such great spacing and movement that I don't know. I think it's really hard for a team to replicate that, especially the Nets. So I worry a little bit about sort of the mix exacerbating some of his many flaws, such as sort of he over-penetrates a little bit. He's, I think he passed well last year. But, again, I, I just wonder. I think uh, Lopez is a really good pick-and-roll player, a very underrated pick-and-roll player in terms of just having those big hands and the soft touch. Is Lynn going to – Kind of look too far to the basket instead of sort of feeding him. I'm not sure that that pick and roll combination has great synergy. You know, I mean, look, but I think you talk about little. Let's get back to this idea of the little wins. I I think that's sort of an interesting sort of concept. the The Nets made an interesting trade on draft night. They trade uh, Thad Young, who I think was probably their most or second most productive player. Last year, kind of a really solid, dependable four man. Who I think forgot how to play defense over the last three years, but still a pretty good player. Uh, and they trade in for the 20th pick in the draft. They draft Karis Lavert. Uh, they the other young guys. I have. They have Chris McCulloch. They draft pick from last year. They have Hollis Jefferson. I mean, where Atkinson is a developmental coach. So Tom, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Who are the guys that you think he can prop up? Because you have to prop these guys up if you want to be a even a twenty-five win team this year. I mean, that they have to to get a lot more out of their talent than they have.
3: Absolutely, and I think this year, I think this year it's Chris McCullough. I think that's the guy everyone's going to have their eyes on because the way the Nets really sold this in was they made a move to get Chris McCullough last year, and of course, last year, um, you know, the similar draft pick situation. And they, they they said that Chris McCullough was, you know, their quote-unquote lottery pick in the summer of 2016, right? He was coming off a major injury, and he was a guy that they said if he wasn't injured or if he had gone back to school and played a year, he would have been a lottery pick in 2016. So then they do the same thing almost this year with Karis Levert, yeah. and that, you know, he's a guy with injury concerns, and he's somebody who they look at and they say, look, we got him at 20 Um, you know, with injury concerns, it might be a reach, but if he's healthy, he was a guy that they had locked in, you know, and maybe he's a top 10 kind of guy. So I think, you know, it's, was almost kind of like each year that they're kind of looking ahead a year. So with that said, I think Chris McCullough is the one that they're really interested in seeing this year. Uh, he had an interesting summer, uh, his offensive game didn't look so sharp in summer league. Um, of course, it's just summer league, so we're not gonna like, you know, we're not gonna go crazy over here. Um, I, I go crazy. Deal, over feel summer free, league. go, go crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, anyway. I've already spit plenty of very bold opinions about Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons based on five summer league games, so
3: I'm going to go. Simmons is
0: a bust. <laughs> He's a bust. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah, so okay, we'll 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 call Chris McCullough a bust now, but now uh, no, the <laughs> McCullough's the call guy who. Uh, you know, long 6'10", athletic kid. Uh, I think they hope that he can play the stretch four position for them. Um, they want to see more offensively out of him. Of course, they'd love to see him be able to, to uh, do a better job on defensive glass, um, you know, picking up rebounds. So uh, there's a lot that I think they're looking from and out of Chris McCullough. So uh, I would keep an eye on him as the kind of key development guy uh, we saw the flashes from Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I know we already talked about him just slightly, but at least we've seen the flashes with him. With Chris, we haven't seen him yet. Uh, so I think they're going to do a lot of work with him in the off season, and he's the guy I'm most interested in seeing. Uh, if he can kind of take that step forward, if he can show those flashes. As a 21-year-old kid, look, I'm not looking for him to, to you know, be a, an 18-10 and 10 guy in his second year, and his first full season, uh, but I think they're looking for some signs from Chris McCullough this year.
0: I and mean, i I just can't believe that grievous Vasquez is twenty nine years old i I'm, I'm just sitting here looking at the roster guys, and like the most of these contracts are are fantastic by the way. There's lots of just kind of like uh, throw caution to the wind and see if this prospect turns out to to your McCullough point. I think that's like uh, spot on a lot of these guys like in the million to two million dollar range that are just prospects really because at this point what do you I mean what do you have to lose so what would you guys consider some baby uh some other small victories for the Nets this season like uh what are the foundational components on this roster that you see that could be there when they are eventually good uh, I mean Tom Anthony uh Anthony you could take this one man uh who, who on this roster is going to be there when the Nets are good again
2: when they're good, I mean, you would hope to say guys like Rondé Hollis Jefferson will be there. You know, Karis Lavert, if if he could stay healthy, he he's six foot seven and he could play the one, he could play the two, he could play mm-hmm. the three. I mean, they picked up Sean Kilpatrick from the D League last season, and um, you know, he's showing signs of of being like a Marcus Thornton type of offensive player. But um, even someone like Boyan Bogdanovich too. I mean, he's he came from Turkish professional league and Mm -hmm. he really hasn't had the chance to thrive he's been you know his first two seasons a lot of negativity he didn't really get along with Hollins too well so I think it's time for Bogdanovich to step up and when Mm -hmm. they are good again if they decide to re-sign him you know he's on Mm -hmm. a contract year if they get good any time within the next three four years I think I think Boyan Bogdanovich, Karis LeVert, Kilpatrick, Hollis Jefferson those are the type of guys you got to look for.
3: And, and another thing, just to kind of like you know, uh, one thing that's that's key to what the Nets did too is you know they've got the D League team coming, they've got the Long Island Nets, so I, I think it's important too that the fact that they're able to make um, they're able to make moves and smaller moves. You look at Bo Beach, who they signed a the shooter. You know, will he make the league? I don't know. You look at Yogi Ferrell, the point guard out of Indiana. Uh, they drafted Isaiah Whitehead out of Seton Hall. These are guys that they're, they've got have partial contracts, are able to play in the D League and develop, and I think that's an important aspect too, especially for someone like Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson. You know, as we're talking about development, uh, they're going to get they're going to let these guys get a look down in the D League. Uh, so I think that's an important factor as well.
2: I think I think that's a great point from Tom, especially when the Nets lost their picks, they lost their D League team, which was the mm. Springfield Armor. So it was like. You know, we don't even have a development team to to pick up guys. You know, so they really did lose that aspect of just finding young talent or finding that hidden gem in the rough.
1: So, a couple, one thing I wanted to point out. I mean, I think that this is right. Although I must say, I'm a little disappointed with some of the back end roster signings they made. I think those were opportunities missed to sort of cycle through players. I, I wasn't wild about like Randy Foy. You know, Luis is a great teammate. I understand he needs some veterans. Uh, I'm not sure there's much to mind with Anthony Bennett anymore. I mean, we can talk a little about him later. I know we got some questions about him. Uh, those felt like missed opportunities, those roster spots, and those are important. So I wasn't terribly wild about how they did that. Now, I have a much more basic question, uh, and that is, who is start- who's the starting five? Like, who, who's going to start? Like, we, we know it's Lynn and Lopez. I mean, who are the other three guys?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I think it's going to play out in the summer. Like, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, uh, are they going to play fast? Are they going to look to get more athletic? Are they going to look to move the ball? Um, You know, look... Mike, you know, too, you've watched some Trevor Booker. Uh, you know, there's some thought that Trevor Booker might get that start. I, you know, it, is that a wow factor? Obviously not. But, I mean, like, no. you know, there's some <laughs> – But still, we're, we're hearing, you know, uh, um, some nuggets and some signs from Kenny Atkinson where they're saying they're going to look at Trevor Booker to start. Um, so I, I, I think you look at Lynn. Obviously, you look at Lopez. Uh, I, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, to me, uh, if fully healthy – uh has to start i do think they'll start they'll look to start boyan bogdanovich at the three or whether they move him to the two and hollis jefferson at the three um just because i do think they're going to ultimately look to try and unload boyan bogdanovich uh so i could see some kind of move to where they start him just to kind of to, to to let him get his flashes let him get some some play out there and, and see if they can move them. But, you know, it, it, if I had to say today, I would say Lynn, Hollis, Jefferson, Bogdanovich, uh, probably would say Trevor Booker at this point, uh, just because that seems to be the way the wind is blowing, and Brooke Lopez. Um, but I definitely could see over the summer where uh, you know, they, they, they kind of talk themselves into Luis Scola starting, or if they see things out of Chris McCullough, they can, they can possibly talk themselves into starting him.
0: Um, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like the, the best case here that you guys are painting, which I think is, is nice. Those pieces do sort of make sense as a starting five, and there's one guy in particular who obviously you know, we, we kind of just glossed over, right, which is Brook Lopez. He's a given. He's the best player on the team. He's, you know, really the not only the highest paid player. I guess he's in the max twenty one million dollar range or whatever it may be. But it, Lopez is sort of an interesting fit with a, a moving pieces uh, team around him. A lot of new faces, young faces. So. Can 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 you guys really explain where you think his head's at with the new era, sort of that he's kind of bridging with the Nets organization? I mean, he's part of the move in franchises, but now it's a a movement of players. So, either of you, let me know what you think about what Lopez is really about right now. um, You know, where you think his head is at, and then where you think he fits in with the team from a playing standpoint. I mean,
2: you got to figure Brook has been through, you know, hell and back with this organization. They were twelve and seventy in his second year with the team. So, you know, he's, he's a very easygoing guy, but at the same time, it's like, it's, you wonder when is it his time to actually be on a winning team.
0: Mm.
2: The I mean, the, the one time the Nets actually won a playoff round with Brooke on the roster, he was hurt. So <laughs> he really hasn't seen any success. So I really am curious to see what his future in the Nets uniform is. But I think, you know, if it's really that bad by the trade deadline and they are losing a lot, I'm curious if Sean Marks will pull the plug. Uh, you know, it'll free up a lot of cap space and it'll give them a chance to get a first rounder.
1: Would you trade him if you were Sean
2: Marks? If if they have 10 wins, less than 10 wins at the trade deadline <laughs> around there, yes, absolutely, i get into the first round.
1: Yeah, I mean, here here's the challenge is that Brook Lopez, uh, I'm looking at how many games he played last year. He played pretty much most of the year, though. He was not... He did not have an injury. Uh, That's a really good sign, but his foot is still sort of a ticking time bomb. And so I think every anytime he kind of pops up in trade rumors, the receiving team is always worried. Uh, He played 73 games last year, so he only missed nine. So that's pretty good. played 72 the year before, but there is still a concern, I think, that his foot is a ticking time bomb. And so I don't know what level of value he has. Uh, At the same time, you do need some sort of competence on this roster. You can't, I mean, just looking at the starting lineup you talked about, like I, I just have so many questions, like who's going to score, like who's who's the floor spacer, like who who's the defensive anchor, and I mean those questions just get totally magnified if Lopez is off the roster, and I believe he has this year and next left on his contract. And so, you know, is there really a lot of value to trading Brook Lopez for like the 15th pick in the draft because i i think that that's ultimate i don't think his trade value is much higher given his injury issues so why not keep him around
3: so i think i i think there's two things there and i think one uh you hit on the fact that yes next it's this year and next and when you look at his salary uh it, it's kind of crazy to think but you know he's he's going to be making 21 million this year and 22.5 million next year which is isn't all that bad in this new NBA? And the fact that it's also only next year, um, I could absolutely see a team that may be close uh, at the trade deadline or maybe looking for that piece, you know, maybe looking for that net, that, that piece that they need to get over the hump. Um, is there an injury in Cleveland? Is there, you know, like, is there that move that that team that, that needs that additional big? Uh, to me, too, the Nets will gladly take. A first-round pick um, or you know a, a, a young you're not going to get a star but a young proven player and a future pick um, to unload brooke i know it's going to be a tough trade the the thing is is that brooke lopez has been with this team and he is a fan favorite the one issue that i think fans have with him though is that he's the silent leader of this team uh he's, he's a fun guy he's a quirky guy. Uh, but he's not necessarily the guy that fans kind of grab onto and kind of uh, follow his lead because he's not the kind of guy to necessarily lead. So I, I do think that the Nets won't be f- fully immune to trading him. Uh, I, I think they'll take a first round pick and a young player if they can get it. Um, and I think that you know he he's a he if he's healthy at the trade deadline, he to me feels like a valuable asset, and I, I would not be surprised if the Nets.
0: Uh, unloaded him. Mike, wouldn't wouldn't the Wizards be better with Lopez? No, I don't think so.
1: Why? No? You don't, you don't think he'd be. <laughs> no, mess? they already no? have two centers. They, they don't need him. This is the <laughs> problem that the Nets are going to run into is that. Man. Oh, you are asking me not seriously. Okay. No, I mean, I just. I, I I like, you. <laughs> I, no, I,
0: forget it, dude. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> this is a problem. I mean, center is not as desirable a position anymore. I mean, look at all the. Uh, most of these teams are set there. I mean, yeah, okay, Cleveland gets hurt, but I'm not quite sure how he fits in Cleveland. And he makes so much money that you have to probably match salary unless you're trading him to an under-the-cap team that doesn't really exist. So, you know, to me the window sort of was when they were really close a couple years ago to get Reggie Jackson from Oklahoma City. I think the Thunder made a mistake by not making that trade. I know Cantor had some moments this year, but I think the Thunder should have just – traded for brook lopez and then if you're the nets then you have reggie jackson and you know uh, he's a divisive player i mean we don't have to go into that um real quick because i i want to try to i think we should go to questions now uh there is one straight from the website uh from net surgeons uh we posted this on Nets Daily. Again, you can always ask questions of the show by tweeting at me, at Mike Preda at the show, at limited upside, or emailing me, at Mike like the Italian company, at SBNation.com. Now that that's out of the way, let's ask this question uh, just because this was sort of brought up earlier, but I think we should bring it up again. I think it sort of is a good tie into like this discussion of Brooke Lopez's trade value. Net Surgeons asks, are you guys in favor of the Thad Young trade for Lavert? Basically a similar structured trade, kind of an established player for a low first-round pick. What do you guys think? Was that? Do you think that was the right move?
3: I mean, I think it was the right move. Again, I think to me it goes back to the kind of swing for the fences um, mentality and blueprint that the Nets need to institute at this point. Um, you know Thaddeus Young would help them be a 28 29 win team maybe Um, but I think they needed to find without a first-round draft pick somebody who they could they could build and develop Um, you know it's tough Thaddeus Young became a fan favorite they loved watching him he really embraced Brooklyn he was the first player the first Nets player to actually move to and live in Brooklyn Um, and it kind of became a big deal uh, but still, I think from a basketball perspective, uh, they needed to kind of swing for the fences. They just the, this team again would not be doing much. Would be a, a, at best a thirty-win team with Daddy Young on the team.
0: I had a, I had a friend who had a Louis Scola sighting the other day around Brooklyn as well. Um, which was interesting to see because we've had some Lopez brothers sightings recently too. I, di- I did not know Thad was the first one to move here. That's that's uh, interesting, but uh, yeah, didn't anyhow, Mike, like, more didn't with the
1: questions. Like, didn't he embrace? He, he was very vocal about embracing it. Uh, it was a rare move because it, the practice facility was in New Jersey. I guess is is it built yet? I always forget this.
3: Yeah, it's built. It's it's built. It just opened up, and you know, it's it's literally down the street from where Thaddeus Young was living Uh, (laughs) now he's obviously not there anymore but uh, yeah he would have been he would have been really close he he, he certainly embraced Brooklyn a
2: lot Uh, you know talking to him last year he said uh, you know he's been around the league he's been around the country plenty of times that you know he just signed his kids up for school in Brooklyn that he really was ready to embrace the Brooklyn lifestyle and that you know I'm sure that it hurt him and his family to be traded out of here and headed to Indiana, but now he can go win.
1: All right. Well, I guess we all agree that was the right move. Then I, I guess I just don't quite. I as good as as I understand the the team's goals. Uh, I'm just. I mean, you do. What's the difference between keeping that young and then instead spending that money on what Trevor Booker and a bunch of other vets? I, I don't quite get that. I mean, I think you might as well just keep that young at that point. If you don't have a draft pick or you don't have – you have to swap. But I clearly am in the minority here. Uh, but we do have uh, a few other questions.
0: Uh, yeah, we do. We got, we got a pretty good one here from uh, M- Matt in Astoria. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's, Tom, uh, you hit this one first. Uh, with so many guards on the roster, what does the depth chart look like at this point to you? Yeah,
3: that's a good question. Uh, you know they they do have they do have a lot of guards. I mean Jeremy Lin obviously the lead guard. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich playing too. But again, we talk about the fact that they signed Grievous Vasquez and they signed Randy Foy and they you know Grievous Vasquez has played off guard. He's played you know in a two point guard system in Toronto. Uh, you got Sean Kilpatrick who was for the most part the last month and a half of the season the team's best scorer oh he was good uh, so man he, he was great yeah he
1: really he was really good he was like the one guy I mean I went to a late season game with you guys and he he really was the one guy that was pumping the crowd up like he can play I think yeah. he he should he deserve some
3: minutes absolutely I mean he's a guy he can score the basketball and, that, and obviously you look at this roster and that's exactly what they need they just need someone who can score so you know the, it, it is a long depth chart but uh, when you, when it comes down to it, uh, I don't think Randy Foy is necessarily going to get minutes over Sean Kilpatrick. Uh, the key here is obviously to develop the young kids, so they're not going to stunt Sean Kilpatrick or even an Isaiah Whitehead for the sake of giving Randy Foy 12 to 15 minutes. So I would say that you know, Lynn Bogdanovich, uh, Grievous Vasquez runs the offense in the second unit, uh, and then you then you filter in someone like Sean Kilpatrick as a two guard in the second unit. Uh, and I, I think to me, those are the four guys who who play the guard position uh, in, the, in the depth chart.
1: All right, sounds good to me. Uh, a lot of questions come in on Anthony Bennett. Uh, do We, our friend CJ Zero. Uh, he asks uh, about Anthony Bennett. We have a couple of these questions. Uh, He asks, will the light go on for Anthony Bennett? And what would that light consist of?
0: (laughs) Man. (laughs) Can I take a stab at that, guys? Yes, stab away. (laughs) Because none of us are going to have a good answer for for what's going to (laughs) tip Anthony Bennett off to, to being a good player right now. But, I'd love to see what his body build looks like coming into this season, fellas, because he's never gotten into NBA shape, and all the different problems that were associated with his actual playing ability always stemmed from kind of that overarching excuse of, I think he was asthmatic, or not excuse, but uh, ailment of being asthmatic or having some kind of breathing issue, but it's like, if you can't get into shape to play, you can't play, let alone, I mean, let alone his skills didn't look like they were anywhere close to NBA ready either, but... I want to see if he's actually in an NBA body build. And then from there, can he can he play some basketball? Because uh, the biggest thing for Anthony Betta is he's probably the lowest on the confidence meter of any number one pick that's ever played the game of basketball. So from here, he just needs to try to be a regular basketball player. And that means making a roster. I mean, if that, if that seems out of this world, do you guys think that he's going to be playing minutes this year for the Nets?
3: Well, I, I, what's kind of funny is, you know, there's – We always talk about, and it seems to always be the issue of his body and his fitness. Um, But, you know, even in the press conference, the introductory press conference, Kenny Atkinson, uh, kind of almost like a veiled mention of his fitness and his body, uh, was saying how he wants to see Bennett rebound the ball. The next thing he said was run the court. You know, that kind of like, you know, this is what I want to see him run. You know, like this is a guy they want to see run. So they have expectations that he'll be. He'll be capable. He'll be out there, able to you know get up and down the court. The question is, is you know he comes into camp looking good. He looks nice. He, he looks like he's in, he fit and good condition. Mm-hmm. Um, played well with Team Canada, but can he sustain that throughout the year? And I think that's always the question: is at what point does the light almost just go <laughs> off and he just kind of reverts back to Anthony Bennett? He, he, I, his,
2: I, let's go ahead. I've, I found a very interesting talking to Kenny and at the press conference last week, he said that he is really considering playing Bennett at the five and stretching the floor. So, I mean, if he could hit the three ball rebound a little bit better, play a little better defense, maybe, maybe a little light will finally go off. But.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. This feels like one of those like really big chandeliers where, uh, 85% of the lights are off and there's only 15% left. Uh, you know, there, I don't know how much of a light there is left to go on. Uh, you know, Just to extend the analogy, I have to ask this question uh, because it came – this is our last question we'll ask, and then uh, we can talk a little bit more about just big picture where the Nets are. Will the Nets – this is from Doug Bierek, I think he's a very popular Nets uh, Twitter person. Um, Will the Nets finally replace replace the Brooklyn Knight, the infamous Brooklyn Knight mascot, the scariest mascot ever, (laughs) during the Shawmix era? And uh, if yes (laughs) – what kind of mascot would you like to see?
2: <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, the Brooklyn Knight was, uh, was definitely an interesting little tenure in Brooklyn. But Brooke Lopez says that he's working on getting a mascot back in Brooklyn. I just don't know what kind. I was, one, I was asking him if maybe it would be Sly the Fox that they had in New Jersey. But um, I don't know, maybe a Swamp Dragon. If I had to <laughs> I would say so- a Swamp Dragon.
3: So uh, a funny thing just quick kind of anecdote in with this is uh last year we were given a great opportunity to have Mr. Mikhail Prokhorov answer uh six questions from our Next daily community um so we emailed him the questions and then Mr. Prokhorov made a video where he answered the questions and we put it up on our site and it was great and awesome uh but Doug actually asked him this question um, and Mr. Prokhorov gave an answer, uh, and and I'm kind of paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But he said he want he said I don't know. How about a talking cabbage? What? And then they created <laughs> yeah. And they created a graphic of like a cabbage with like eyes and a mouth, and had like a Nets logo on it. What? Um, so <laughs> yeah. What, so what is it's the possible connection to a cabbage? nothing i i don't know um but it's possible <laughs> that there's a talking cabbage <laughs>
0: like, yeah, that, um, that feels like something john oliver would have as one of the mascots he's created
3: right. wow yeah is
0: it would it be like
1: an
3: artisanal cabbage
0: uh in brooklyn it would have to be right organic uh it's from the it's from the co-op uh the co-op on union street <laughs> <laughs> right it gets brought to each game by a citizen who rolls them with the reflecting light vest on um, okay sorry about that I live in the neighborhood with the co-op it's it's foot traffic yeah so you're it's... allowed
1: to make these jokes and nobody else says <laughs> because right. you live there
0: <laughs> Brooklyn fans are all around here I live with, I live around people who, who all the time I see them in their Nets gear walking to the games to and from a bunch of season ticket holders and I feel for them man I feel for them because I like when it was cool when I first moved here and the Nets were just moving the to town as well it was electricity here man it was it was it was very interesting to see a team move in with such high expectations to a new city. I'm sure you guys can talk to that as well, but on that note, can you tell us, uh, I, and we'll start with, we'll go one by one here, including yourself, Mike, uh, but we'll start with Anthony. Give me the uh, the best case scenario for the Nets this season, and then your uh, your prediction of a, a record for uh, for how they'll end up this season. Well,
2: you can't look at best case scenario from a win-loss standpoint, because the expectations are just very low, but you know, you you consider the development of Chris McCullough, as we've spoken about, ronde Hollis Jefferson, even like Karis LeVert, Isaiah Whitehead, the young guys. If maybe Anthony Bennett's light could go off, and uh, a little success from Kenny Atkinson part, Kenny Atkinson's part, if he can grow as a coach. Um, as far as wins, you know, I, I really can't say much more than twenty four, twenty five wins. You know? you know, it's it's. it's like yeah. we said before, there's not many guys that could put the ball in the hoop besides Brooke Lopez and Jeremy Lind, and it's like, how far can they even go? They're good ball players, but they are not superstars in this league, if even
0: stars. And the division's gotten a little better around them, too, with you know, Sixers won't be as bad. Those were like a three or four of the Nets wins last season. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, think,
2: I think the Sixers
0: will actually finish ahead of the Nets. <sighs> Man, we'll see. It's gonna, it's going to be close. It's going to be close. I think that will be very. I think that will be a more intriguing matchup. Who's going to be the worst team in the NBA next year? Because ultimately, again, we're going to be doing that same song and dance with the Celtics with that draft pick. It, right. it all stays in the division. It's it's so right. it's so big. It's crazy, but uh, I, yeah,
2: I, you know they're going to play hard for Kenny. It's going to be. I think the fans and everybody they're going to be able to rally behind this team, but it's just going to be tough as mm-hmm. the losses pile up, if they pile up, you know. It's hard to stay optimistic when your team is at such a low point without draft picks.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Tom, what do you think, man?
3: Yeah, you know, I think for me, best case is, uh, you know, as this team, I think they look at it as uh, Jeremy Lin stays healthy, can play as close to 82 games as possible, because I think one thing that often gets overlooked or, you know, we we wrote about it and, and even Brett Yormark, who's the CEO of Nets Basketball and Entertainment Uh, Jeremy Lin is a huge marketing coup for the Nets, Um, so I think they want him to stay healthy uh, Mm -hmm. so that they have a story to tell. Uh, And I think Jeremy Lin also can provide some excitement on certain nights. Uh, You know, there are going to be nights where yeah, he can turn on the Lin sanity and you know have everyone kind of say yes, this is it, this is Nets basketball. Uh, Keep the intrigue. Uh, And and secondly, I think you know seeing some flashes from the young kids, whether it's Chris McCullough. Or Karis Levert coming back, or Kilpatrick, Rhonda, uh, Rhonda House, Jefferson. Uh, so you know that's what they're looking for as far as record. Um, you know, I I would say, uh, you know, I think twenty four twenty five is mm. is best case. Like it just feels best case yeah. to me.
1: Yeah, I, there's always one team that is really bad that you don't expect. I mean, last year it was Phoenix. I mean, there was playoff yeah. talk about them, and they they were one of the worst teams in the league. A couple years ago, it was Milwaukee that just. Cratered. That said, I think the best chance—it's most likely that the Nets will be the worst team in the league. I would say they have the best chance of anyone. Yeah, uh, I just—the talent level is just so so barren. And even with their young players, I just—I'm not really sure I see it with a lot of these guys. And I think. It will depend on if Brook Lopez plays 75 games again, they might get to twenty, twenty-five wins. If he doesn't, it gets real ugly, I think. Uh, but last thing I want to just throw out there to you guys as Nets fans is that this is sort of, again, the nadir of what was such a grand experiment that went so poorly. As you sort of reflect on this now four or five, few years later since the move to Brooklyn, did the Nets do the right thing to kind of come out, you know, guns, for lack of a better phrase, sort of just guns blazing, you know, signing guys, paying all this money, you know, making those big, these big moves for Joe Johnson, for Darren Williams, for uh, the Celtics trade, obviously, trying to kind of say we've got to have the established team right away. Was that the right thing in building the fan base, do you think?
2: Saying if it's the right thing is, you know, I'm skeptical. But you do have to respect Prokhorov's commitment to winning when he came here. Obviously, the whole idea of needing a superstar to headline in Brooklyn, it just seemed it seemed rushed. It seemed something like the Knicks would do. And no offense, but that's not always the best idea.
0: Um, <laughs> no, no offense taken. I love when people make uh, references <laughs> to the Knicks <laughs> in, in such a manner.
1: I mean, it's what they do. It, yeah, no, I know that's just fact
0: (laughs) we just came up last podcast we talked about the the you know the porzingis pick and it was like it was the least nicks thing so now they've come up two podcasts in a row we haven't gotten to them yet
2: right well (laughs) talking nets nicks are going to come up one way or another That's true. it just seemed like it was just very impulsive there you ask yourself was there ever a real plan or was it just let's just get a ring in these five years so I don't have to get married as Prokhorov said (laughs) so you know you get you respect it as a fan you respect it you you understand it but here we are today with no draft picks you know 21 win team now we're looking at potentially 20 another 20 win season it's just it's hard to say that it was the right move because it really crippled this franchise
0: Yeah, no, it it definitely is one of those things that immediately felt like not immediately okay maybe one season in but but you could kind of feel even within that season that it was going to be going the wrong way but it, i think it's what you had to do in, in a weird way it did make sense at the time and then immediately didn't but it's hard to say that at the entire time it was the the wrong move and it made the fan base excited it sold jerseys it brought people into a new arena into a new city and a new venue and uh you know i i can't i can't fault the move as much in, in retrospect tom i don't know you probably echo the same sentiment i'm i'm, I'm assuming
3: yeah, and just quickly, I, I do. I think I think Anthony hit on it. Uh, you know, it it was it's a tough pill to swallow. Now, um, you know, at the time, everyone was talking about could that be the team that wins seventy plus games? You know, like they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. There was a lot of hype, a lot of talk. Um, they needed a fan base. They had zero, well, close to zero fans in Brooklyn <laughs> coming to a new home. So, I mean. It, it it made sense for what it was but as as it always is in hindsight we always look back and say oh well you know but at the time uh you know we only maybe had a handful of our readers who actually complained about any aspect of the trade
1: interesting yeah i, I just worry was because this is like the beginning of the fan base right and I think you said it sort of touched on this with Lopez. I mean, there wasn't like one player that was very like the touchstone of the the organization. The guy who fans could immediately identify with. It was a little bit of a mercenary kind of thing. And I, it'll be interesting to see as the team really bottoms out for really what it looks like for a few years now. I mean it's I don't see any path to this team being a, you know, fairly relevant team for uh a few years. What does Do those fans that were sort of kind of captivated as casual fans by just the big names stick around? Or would it have been better to sort of just I, – I know it's like really hard because it wasn't like – they were coming off what a 12-win season in one of their last years and fan base – you know, immediate fan base – Pro, you know, building the fan base was always a
0: problem, but I just it's wonder, New York, man. That again, to bring up the Knicks, but like when you're building a franchise in someone else's market, like it just it had to be something to differentiate it. And if it was the players' names, and so be it. Um, well,
1: ironically, they we just said that they're just the very Knicksian rebuild. So I don't know if they really differentiated themselves. Well, I'm just I mean, really sh- curious I mean. just, as a basketball historian. I just wonder how we're gonna think about these last few years and like 20 years from now.
0: Just another owner experiment. and It happened to have uh, well, somewhat adverse effects on the franchise in a five-year window. So we'll see what it looks like 10 years down the road when the Nets are still playing at Barclays Center. Maybe they have some brand-new young players built around Levert. And uh, I know Levert's a guy who's been very uh, – I'm trying to just give him a quick shout out to all the Michigan people at uh, SB Nation, which we happen to have like a 1,000 of. They, they love him. They love him, man. They, they're like, oh, Levert's the best. And every time I go to watch, he wasn't playing. So I hope for your sake, guys, that he, right. he stays healthy and, and can play and play some hoops because I think he's a good player. Um, but I want everyone who's listening to this podcast, to the Limited Upside Podcast, to please go to Nets Daily. It's one of the best SB Nation NBA sites. It's consistently in the top five in traffic, and that's for a reason. They have great material, guys. So check out Anthony and Tom on there. Uh, anything you guys want to plug, I don't know if you're doing anything. In the, in the meantime, the rest of this summer, uh, go ahead right now if you'd like. Um, Really appreciate having us, uh, ha- having uh, you on the podcast, fellas. Great yeah, of on, course.
3: Uh, it's been been a busy, busy off season that we talked about. So uh, check out we we've got full recaps of everything. Uh, Anthony's done a great job of uh, you know keeping us in the loop. He's got SoundCloud. He started with uh, we've got all our sound from uh, the press conferences. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to to any of the interviews or sound from the press conference, uh, we got it up there. So make cool. sure you guys check out netsdaily dot com.
0: Very nice, very nice. All right, cool. Guys, thank you so much again for coming on. Prada, as always, your wealth of knowledge. And until next time, everybody, Limited Upside Podcast.